I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story. I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 23. In Dreams. Brooklyn. It's spring, 2015. A friend of mine is getting married. She lives in New York City now, and me, Forever 21, the lawyer, and a bunch of other friends are going there together. The man with the white shirt kisses me on the morning I'm flying out. Have fun. I'll see you in three days when you get off the plane, he says. He is the best not-boyfriend in the whole world. My friend, the bride, has been telling me for a year that her almost husband's best friend is totally your type. You guys would love each other. He's going to be the best man at the wedding, but I'm not going there thinking about him or thinking about anyone to hook up with on this trip. My heart is tethered to the best not-boyfriend in the whole world. I can't think of anyone but the man with the white shirt. It's a short flight from the Toronto Island Airport, which is good, since the wedding starts only a few hours after we land. We walk from the hotel down to the pier, have cocktails overlooking the Hudson River, Lady Liberty not far with her slightly disapproving looks. The room is crowded. I'm heading to the bar. Some dude knocks into me, spills his drink all over the top of my fancy fucking dress, and doesn't even notice. A super cute guy jumps to my defense quickly with some cocktail napkins, trying to blot out the spill, but then realizing he's basically touching my boobs while doing it. He jumps back and shouts, Oh my god, sorry! We laugh. We talk. I learn he's the cousin of the best man, the guy with whom I'm supposed to be a perfect match. Where is he? I ask. Apparently, I absolutely have to meet him. He's late, so lucky for me, says the cousin with a smile. I smile back. Oh, well, too bad for best man. The ceremony is beautiful. The atmosphere is beautiful. The best man gives an amazing speech, and he seems really cool. But I haven't met him yet. I've spent the whole night with the cousin, drinking and laughing and drinking and more drinking. He is much, much younger than me, and we have nothing in common, but he's adorable and brash, and this is fun. Eventually, the best man comes over, and we meet. He is not brash. He is not crazy party-party drinking guy like his cousin. He's thoughtful when he speaks and looks at me in a calm, arresting way, even when he isn't saying anything. I am 
Captivated. The best man works in radio, just like me. He's an artist who's into sports, just like me. He's soft-spoken and seems like a real man in comparison to the cousin, and a really real man compared to the man with the white shirt, even though best man is five years younger. All I want to do is talk to him now. What's he all about? But he cuts through the crowd, leaving me with the now very drunk cousin to resume our silly party. We dance close, but we haven't kissed or anything. Instead, I keep looking over his shoulder to find the best man, to see what he's doing. And that's when the cousin casually mentions his fiance back home in New Jersey. You're what? I pull away from his body quickly. We aren't married yet, he says, trying to pull me into him again. No, 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 nope. I walk away fast, and that's when I realize the place is half empty. The chairs are being stacked. That song was the last song. The wedding is over. I look for my purse and jacket, and then best man is there in front of me. We're going to a bar now, he says, and takes my arm in his. We walk along Avenue of the Americas, talking to each other arm in arm, while the now very drunk and dejected cousin trails along behind us with some other people. We walk past the hotel most of us are staying at, then down a few side streets until we get to a little Irish pub. The bride and groom and all the Canadians are already inside. I've stopped drinking. I want to be present for this conversation with the best man. He's so soft-spoken, mild-mannered, unassuming, and totally, unbelievably interesting to me. Also, full of surprises. I'm in the middle of telling some story when he suddenly puts his big arm around me and pulls me into him for a kiss. A capital G. Great kiss. Wow, that was bold, I say. He just shrugs like, no big deal. I pull him into me now and kiss him hard, right there in the middle of this crowded pub in lower Manhattan, even though I'm usually the least PDA person in the world. Later, he walks me back to the hotel. We're carrying enormous vases of flowers back for the bride. But still, we stop every few feet to make out against a wall or in a doorway. It's the sexiest walk I have ever taken in all of my life. I feel like I'm in a movie. I'm in New York City, everyone, where dream men appear and kiss you perfectly in half-lit laneways. For the last bit of making out, we're in a little crevice in the side of the wall of the hotel. People walk by, but I have never cared less. I'm wearing my fanciest fucking dress, and there are vases of gorgeous flowers at my feet, and this man can kiss, and he can smile, and have I mentioned the absolute gloriousness of his arms? They're huge and strong. His body feels like the best thing I've ever felt, maybe, or at least it does right now, here pressed up against a wall in Manhattan.
We kiss a million times in the hotel lobby. We say, see you tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. I have your number. I have yours. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I go up to the room I'm sharing with Forever 21 and another friend. They woot and woo at me about the best man. I blush and demure and fall into the bed in the most blissful state and check my phone. Best man has already texted. Can't wait till tomorrow. And I text back, me either. And then I see it. Another text, sent only an hour earlier, when I was involved in the world's longest, sexiest street kiss. It's from the man with the white shirt. He wonders if I got there safely, since he hasn't heard from me. He says he heard a song on the radio, and it made him think of me. He says he hopes I'm having fun. My heart sinks for a second. God damn it. If you were just my actual boyfriend, you would be here with me. I wouldn't be making out with Brooklyn Dream Boy. I'd be with you in our own hotel room. You wouldn't have to hear songs on the radio that made you think of me. You would actually be with me. I turn off my phone and try to fall asleep. The next day, I walk the High Line with my pals. We have the world's best Mexican brunch. We go to a Mets game. The whole time, best man and I text each other until finally, finally, later that night, all the Canadians and the bride and groom and the best man get together in a bar on the Lower East Side. Best man is wearing a leather jacket with jeans and a black t-shirt. He's got some kind of cool hat on and cool bracelets and his overall style seems effortless and timeless. I like it all so much. Holy shit. We sit together at the bar and talk, our legs pressed together, our hands touching. After a while, we look around and realize everyone we know is gone. So you want to take me back to Brooklyn? I say, and he says, obviously. And we do. We fall together easily on his bed, and he's quiet, and I'm loud, and his body is to die for, and he says mine is. And the whole thing is pretty fucking great. Capital G. At around 5 a.m., when the light of morning is starting to crack the sky, we fall asleep. We wake up starving at 10. Let's go for brunch, he says. I'll take you to my favorite spot. Meanwhile, the Canadians are all texting me like crazy. Where are you? Was it fun? Are you coming back? And I answer with rows of exclamation marks. I'm in Brooklyn! I type, like I've been to Narnia, or the moon. I assume once brunch is over, we'll say goodbye. So to make conversation, I ask him what he's doing the rest of the day. Without hesitation, he says, I'm going to spend it with you, right up until you have to go to the airport. And I swoon. Like, for real swoon. Like a swoon I haven't felt for anyone since I met the man with the white shirt. Oh my God, white shirt. It's been forever since I even thought about him. Did I even answer his text? Do I care? He keeps insisting he isn't my boyfriend, so I can do whatever I like, right? I can do anything, including having this unexpected romance with the best man. White shirt wouldn't mind anyway. He wouldn't even care. He'd say, as long as it makes you happy. And I wouldn't like the way it would feel. 
to hear him say it. So I push him out of my mind. The rest of the day with Best Man continues like a New York City montage in a rom-com. We ride the subway from Brooklyn to Manhattan and spend the rest of the day walking through Soho, Chinatown. He takes me to Little Italy, where we wander the crowded streets hand in hand and snap selfies of the two of us nestled against one another. We just walk and walk, his arm always around me, leading me somewhere new. It all feels so romantic. We make our way slowly back to my hotel so I can pack my bags. All the Canadians are staying until tomorrow, but I'm leaving today to get back to Bertie. He lies on one bed while I pack my little carry-on luggage on the other. Then I lie down beside him, my head on his chest. We text the bride one of our selfies with the caption, You were right. Told you so, she answers back. Why don't you exist in Toronto? I ask him, because I really mean it. Why don't you exist in New York? He asks back, which is impossible to believe is true. How can a smart, super cute, interesting, fit, talented, shit-together 35-year-old man not find a girlfriend in this giant city? He shrugs. Dating is the worst. And I say... Oh, believe me, I know. When it's time for me to go, he carries my luggage to the subway station and then all the way down the steep stairs. He walks me as far as he can, right up to the turnstile, and kisses me goodbye several times. He waves once I'm through. I wave back. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. A few hours later, I'm back in Toronto, standing outside the downtown island airport. The man with the white shirt pulls up in my car and hops out. He reaches for my little carry-on luggage, and when he touches it, I flinch. He hugs me hard and kisses me sweetly, then puts the luggage on the back seat beside his lovely old dog, who's also happy to see me. But I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. How can this all be? the same day. I woke up in Brooklyn. I woke up in a dream man's bed in Brooklyn. And now I'm here with White Shirt and his dog and our city and our complicated non-relationship and what? Everything's supposed to be normal, even when it isn't? Even when it's never been? At my place, White Shirt cooks us food and we watch a TV show in bed. And then, for the first time ever, I don't want to have sex with him. I want instead to just fall asleep with my New York romance preserved in a snow globe that doesn't include the man with the white shirt. 
I want to keep our Brooklyn morning and the hand-holding walks through Manhattan and the whole, all of it. I want to keep it unpolluted by the complication that white shirt brings to everything in my life. So I tell him I'm exhausted, even though that's never once stopped me before. Instead of having sex, we just fall asleep together, my mind swirling with how much life can fit into one unexpected day. I text with best man a little after that, but not much. He doesn't want to have a long-distance relationship. Neither do I. It could never work anyway. I have a kid, an ex-husband, a career. I can never leave Toronto. And he has his career. And besides, he doesn't even have a passport. He's so super American. But we stay in touch. We like each other's Instagram photos a lot. Every few weeks, one of us will send a short email and the other responds. But there's no trace of the romance. We write like two kids who met and became best friends at camp, but don't know what to say now that they're back in their regular lives. Pick a direction. On what I believe will be the last time the man with the white shirt is ever in my bed, I say to myself, He's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. We've fought again and cried again and reached the conclusion again that this has to end. We want to stay friends. We can't imagine our lives without each other. He wants to see Bertie. He loves her. He loves me. But we don't know how any of that works. All we know is we can't keep running in circles. We need to pick a direction. We can't deny it anymore. We want different things. He doesn't want a monogamous, committed relationship. I want exactly that. After fighting and crying, talking and dismantling, we inevitably fall together. Sex is our truce, our ceasefire. We sign a peace accord on each other's skin. But sex is also where the heartbreak climbs, nullifying the truth and sending me back to the front lines. I think, oh my God, I love you. Why can't we make this work? I think, I can't not have this. I have to have this. What will I do without you? And then for some reason, I hold my breath. Just for a bit, our eyes are locked 
and just as he cries out, I let all the air out and think, he's just a guy. 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 He is just a guy. I remove the specialness of it that we are meant to be. In that moment, we're just two people who've had a couple of orgasms. But when it's time for him to go, I can't take it. There's still the discarded wife inside of me that can't take any goodbyes, let alone one with a ring of finality to it. Every goodbye from the man with the white shirt is like the husband all over again. Every time, every goodbye. Alone, alone, alone. Just leave when I fall asleep, I say. And he sighs, lies down in his clothes, me naked beside him. Four hours later, I wake up to go to work and he's still lying there in his jeans and jacket, bathed in the blue light of early winter morning. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. I cry. And it isn't so much about white shirt leaving as it is about me being left behind. It's me as a young teenager, pretending not to care my parents were breaking up. It's me in the emergency room alone, not knowing what was wrong with my eyes. It's me the night my husband didn't come home for the first time in 12 years. It's me left behind, always left, never leaving. And so when the door clicks shut behind white shirt, I cry all of that. I cry so hard, I'm sure they can hear me right through the concrete walls and out onto the street four stories below. I feel like I've collapsed, like I've folded in on myself. He suddenly bursts back in, fast, and pulls me into him, hard, his arms tight around me. He wipes away my tears, and I say, Go, just go. And he does for real this time. He goes. I unfold myself. I feed the cat. I stop crying and put makeup on and fix my hair. I'm relieved he's gone and surprised by that feeling. I stare long and hard at myself in the mirror. I'm 41 years old, and I've cried every day for the past two weeks. I've cried for four years. I've had everything and then nothing. But look, I'm still here. I'm still strong. I stare longer in the mirror. I think, I look pretty good considering my age and the lack of sleep and the nonstop heartbreak. I put on my shoes and go to work. But here's the thing. 
Love is strange and wonderful, and you cannot choose it. You can choose to not see it or feel it when it's there with you, but you can't choose it out of existence. Love floods you like a high beam on a dark country road. Love is a defender that sometimes gets in your way. Love shoots you up in the sky like a corner store firework, cheap but exciting. Love sticks to you like gum on the bottom of your shoe or parsley in your teeth. Love is a flood that can't be stopped no matter how many sandbags you put out. You can't prepare. You can only act. Action is the antidote to anxiety. Certainty is a myth. So you may as well let that light flow right into you, right through you, and experience it now, even if it's only temporary, even if it's just in knowing that there is no real way of knowing. Love is at ease with itself, man. It doesn't look before it leaps. It just leaps. It just does. You're listening to Alone, a love story. Written by me, Michelle Parisi. It's a CBC podcast. The story editor is Mark Apollonio. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Mark here in our hometown of Toronto. Head over to cbc.ca slash alone. If you can believe it, I still have a lot more to say about each episode. More stories, a lot about music, and photos too. You can also find me on Twitter at AloneCBC. Stick with me. I want to tell you about what it's like to trust the truth when it comes from a liar's mouth. Hey, there's another CBC podcast I want to tell you about. Other people's problems. Be a fly on the wall, or like the couch, and listen in as people divulge their issues to therapist Hillary McBride. Subscribe to it today. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.